Hello and welcome to Alchemy Radio, the home of the open mind. Thank you for tuning in. Hopefully you're enjoying the show and all the eye and ear opening guests that we bring to you on a regular basis. Indeed, an increasingly regular basis as a result of your donations. So thank you for those. Please keep them coming. They're keeping us afloat and they're allowing us to increase our content. And we will continue to do that. So thank you very much. It's really appreciated. We're available on demand, as you know, from alchemyradio.net and indeed from iTunes. You can check out our Twitter account and our Facebook account. The Twitter account is at Alchemy Radio and you'll find us on Facebook. And we welcome all feedback and suggestions and everything else you might have to say to us. So, onto the show. Our guest today is Raymond Whitehead, who is the founder of Direct Democracy Ireland, a brand new way of looking at politics in Ireland. And of course, many of you will know that the Republic of Ireland has been going through an extremely difficult time, both economically and otherwise, over the last number of years. And something radical needs to be done to address the issues that currently exist there. So, I'm looking forward to this chat. Raymond, how are things? Yeah, very well, thank you, uh, John. Pleasure to be on your programme. Well, I think we're going to have a very interesting discussion about the state of politics in Ireland and beyond and some of the potential solutions. Before we do that, tell us a little bit about your own background and I suppose, as I ask most guests on the show, how you got from where you were to where you are now? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I started out as a teacher of, of um, Transcendental Meditation. I actually started out as an athlete who was uh, looking for scholarship to America and um, I, our coach got us, this is kind of a long-winded version, but our coach had everybody in the club meditating um, because he, he, he felt it was very good for our, our athletics. I found it so impressive what it did to my athletics because I was training incredibly hard that instead of going on scholarship I decided to go to Switzerland. Now Switzerland is a direct democracy and when I was there, um, I had a Swiss girlfriend at the time, and uh, she explained to me what, what the system was because, you know, I saw people every now and again in the street with a little table and some forms on them, and it seemed a little out of character with, with Switzerland, uh, given that Swiss are very orderly and all that. Now, I wonder what these people were doing, sort of standing on street corners with tables. And it turned out they were collecting signatures, and they were for when they got enough signatures to call local referendum. Um, they could also do this for national, uh, to call it national referendum as well. Uh, and I found that kind of fascinating, but I found Switzerland generally fascinating because as a direct democracy, there was a palpable sense and it was really quite, you know, when you lived there for a little while, and I lived in the small towns and villages where it's more noticeable, there was a palpable sense of ownership of the ordinary person in the street, of their town, of their village, of their street. This is my street, this is my town, this is my village. And you really felt it there. And every town and village you went to was beautiful, it was spotlessly clean, well, you know, managed and, you know, just very, everything was very orderly and people just went about their business, you know, and uh, they, they, uh, the, the, the country worked, everything worked, and it worked so well that I missed so many uh, trains and buses and boats going across lakes because I couldn't believe that everything went on time. If it said the bus was going at 11 o'clock, it went at 11 on the dot. 
<laughs> and I had worked actually for CIE before I went to Switzerland and uh, nothing went on time and I knew it because I worked for them and uh, I just couldn't get it into my head while I was there that um, things actually worked and when they said 11 o'clock they meant 11 o'clock you know when they went 12 o'clock it was 12 and if you turned up at 30 seconds past 12 you saw the bus going down the street so this kind of fascinated me the whole thing worked like a well-oiled Swiss watch and it stuck in my head you know, for decades afterwards. And um, it was when everything went belly up in Ireland that uh, I started to question how we got here. And I, uh, like so many people in this country, I felt helpless. And I felt I had no voice. I actually had contacted and written to some, made proposals to some ministers, which I thought were, were uh, you know, very worthwhile proposals and I was completely ignored I didn't even get a thank you for your suggestion one of them was to clean up the air in Ireland and eliminate uh, pollution from all motor vehicles in the country as a result of something I put on my car which did exactly that got rid of all the, the pollution and I was just ignored and I just felt so frustrated and annoyed and angry and then the proverbial hit the fan and I just thought you know this you know and you have this sense of apathy and no control ultimately over your life or your town or your country or no input and um, I thought back on my experience in Switzerland and the power that the ordinary person had there to influence change in their country. And if enough pe people agreed with you and they cut through all the bureaucracy, all the tribunes, all this kind of thing, they just went straight to the core of the, 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 the problem and went, we want that change, get on with it to the government. And the government had to do it because the people had spoken. And it's the people's country. And I thought, jeepers, this is, you know, I have to go back and have a look at this again. So I went back and I looked at it and discovered that we actually had this under our first constitution. And I was shocked. I was absolutely shocked. I thought, my God, what happened? And what happened was the first government to get in took it out of our constitution. Um, the founding fathers of the Irish Free State gave this power of referendum to the Irish people because we'd come out of a colonial system of uh, dictatorship type of system for 800 years and they wanted to give this power to the people to have a voice and a say in their own future and their own, the ongoing administration of their country and the first go. Now, you know, you wonder why, because, uh, you know, in the four years that had passed between the first government being elected and the, or five years, whatever it was, and the time that they took it out of the Constitution, the people had never actually exercised this right because they were happy to let the government get on with what they were doing. They didn't step in there and have call for referendums every second day of the week. So it had never been exercised. So, but the politicians took it out. And they did it in a very devious way, if you don't mind me sort of giving the history of it. Um, yeah, they, they did it in a very devious way. What they did was, Article 50 of our Constitution was a weak point. It allowed the government to make amendments to the Constitution, not changes, but amendments. And what they did was, under the Constitution, any change that they made to the Constitution had to be put to the people within two years of that change being made. So what they did was, 
they took it out of the Constitution, the Articles 47 and 48, which gave the people this voice and this power, and they extended, they didn't change the, 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 the period that they had to, or not the period, but they didn't change that um, uh, right mm. that they had to put it to the people within two years. They just extended the period. They amended and they extended that two-year period to eight years. Okay. And putting off this, the right of people, or their, 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 their need to put it to the people for eight years. And at the end of that eight years, they extended it by another eight years, effectively denying the people of Ireland their right to call, uh, to, to have a referendum on whether they could do this, take it out of the constitution or not. So it was put on hold indefinitely. In the meantime, the right of referendum was taken out of the constitution in the meantime. So, uh, at the time, there was on, just short of 100,000 signatures got against what they were doing. Now, when you think of an age when there was no internet, no mobile phones, virtually no tele ordinary telephones, the average person had no access to this kind of communication, that 100,000 signatures could be got against what they were doing, you know, in such a short period of time, phenomenal. But they were ignored because... The excuse the government gave was, no, we're not denying you your right to, uh, to call a referendum on what we've just done. We're just putting it off for eight years. And of course, at the end of the eight years, they extended it by another eight years. Mm. Now, in the meantime, what happened was um, they, you know, after that eight years, there was... Um, we got our freedom from the Brits, and de Valera, who, and I'm open to correction on this, but he was against this article being taken out of the Constitution, the 47 and 48, uh, in, in drawing up the new Constitution, our second Constitution, the one we have today, he inserted into that Constitution, when he saw the power it gave uh, the, the politicians, um, that the, uh, the government retained the right of referendum. It wasn't put in that more or less what they said. The government in the new constitution uh, keeps the right of referendum. Now, they never had it to keep in the first place because we never got to vote on it. But having said that, everybody voted in favour because, you know, getting our freedom from the Brits and party time when we have our own new constitution and trust me, I'm a politician, you know, or I'm a, I was a freedom fighter for Ireland yeah. back in 1916. Um, everybody just signed off on it. And it had been forgotten what, you know, the details and it buried in, in the details. And like the Lisbon Treaty, I think nobody actually um, uh, read the fine print. Uh, it was passed and into the new constitution. So now we're, we've been stuck with it ever since. We can't call a referendum. The only possibility for the people uh, calling a referendum in a sense is through the Shannon. If the Shannon uh, don't like something, I want to propose a, a new bill or something, if they get a third of the Shannon and uh, or 50% I think of the Shannon and maybe a third of the elected politicians including independents and opposition and maybe one or two rogue government uh, politicians, they can propose to put this to the president and then the president can then insist on a referendum being called. It's very 
you know, convoluted way of going about it, not so direct. But that that's the only way that uh, referendum can be called outside of the government calling them. Now, the government kept the power of referendum for themselves. When they took it away from the people, they gave the power of referendum to themselves because they saw the... Um, the the power that being able to call a referendum has. But Raymond, just interject there for a second. Yeah. Isn't that okay? Because let's face it, back when the state was being founded, the politicians were really only trying to find their feet. They were looking for what was best for the people. And ever since then, we've had a free democracy and we get to elect our own politicians who, let's face it, they're the ones doing the right thing for us all the time. So isn't everything rosy in the garden? What's the problem? Well, look around you. Is everything rosy in the garden? You know, um, it's not. And we see a long list, longer than the length of your arm there, of corruption and, you know, uh, all kinds of things that are, that are not right, that the people would like to see, uh, be able to hold these people who have shown themselves to be corrupt over the years to account. And we can't. And they go about with diplomatic immunity, virtually, to, to so many uh, abuses of power. And and we have no voice. And we need that voice back in order to, you know, um, uh, be able to conduct our, our, our business in an open and transparent way, which it isn't done at the moment. You see the things that are being uncovered now and the, 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 the skullduggery that's going on in relation to it. You've only got to look at, you know, what's going in the news today and yesterday and for the last week, you know, to see uh, the, the the level of, of, of corruption, skullduggery and, you know, secrecy and all of these things, which when you have, the people have the power to hold these politicians accountable, you don't get so much, you know, because they're very aware of the fact that the people being partners through direct democracy in the political process, they are the partners and they can call a referendum, um, they can hold them to account. So they tend to be very aware of public opinion when they make decisions and not just ride roughshod over the populace, you know, in the name of uh, supposedly doing the right thing by the people. But by the time we, we discover all the problems that, that these things have brought about, you know, when we objected in the first place, it's too late. Uh, we're, we're way down the road of uh, being able to turn back a lot of the time. Uh, and the politicians won't turn back because they're, they don't like admitting they're wrong anyway, you know. So... We have a real problem here with, with representative democracy. We need to make the politicians hold them accountable. We need to make sure that everything is open and transparent. And um, that's what direct democracy does. And to look at direct democracy then and the way that it actually works, it's the case that pretty much anyone can call a <laughs> referendum on any topic, provided they get the backing or the signatures or whatever it might be of a certain number of people. Is that similar to the system that we see in Iceland now at the moment since their pots and pans revolution? It is. And, and, and the, the growing awareness of the need for people to be engaged and have a mechanism whereby they have a voice um, and they're not just dictated to by the people that they've elected uh, is growing around the world and around Europe and we're seeing the rise 
of the need for direct democracy. And you see it even in the Ukraine at the moment, you know, the, the, the people crying out for, for having to be listened to mm. as a people, you know. So it's growing all over the world. Iceland has been the, the more recent one to take this up. And uh, it, it is, there are growing movements all over Europe uh, calling for d- direct democracy. In, in Spain, There's there was a movement there um, in down a little bit recently, but uh, calling democracy, you know, very similar to the idea of direct democracy. So it is, there is a growing awareness. And as you know, probably, um, possibly, that in the Mideast by-election, for instance, direct, direct democracy Ireland, uh, the party I set up to, to promote direct democracy here, um, came very close to winning that election. Mm. And we we actually came fourth overall. And if it had been a national election, we would actually have won a seat. But there was only one seat going. So, you know, that was won by um, uh, Helen McEntee. And I think the interesting point to note about that, because I, I follow that campaign very, very closely, and... Mm. Apart from the fact that there would have been a seat there in a national election, for a new party to run a a relatively unknown or politically a complete unknown candidate and to do so well with the opposition of what amounted to essentially a media blackout and a media smear campaign against that candidate, to my mind, was nothing short of staggering. What can you tell us about that and the way the Irish media has reacted to the apparent popularity now in such a short space of time to direct Democracy Ireland and the challenge that that presents to the establishment? Um, well, first of all, they, 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 they reacted in, in kind of shock, I suppose. And Ben Gilroy, who ran for Direct Democracy Ireland, uh, was on prime time the next night. And they kept calling him an, an independent candidate. Now, not, I mean, how the national media don't have access to the electoral records and stuff uh, is beyond me. But, you know, they, they almost refused to refer to him as a of the political party and kept calling him an independent candidate um, and had to be corrected on numerous occasions but there, following that uh, there has been uh, they couldn't ignore us on that initial uh, result but following on from that there was a, a kind of a, an almost closed down of uh, on the national media uh, very little coverage and um, in fact as you said there was even a smear campaign uh, conducted on prime time uh, which totally misrepresented uh, Ben Gilroy and was actually manipulated in such a way as to try to make him out to be some sort of con man or whatever and, and this, is, this is so absurd that even uh, journalists that, that RTE had had a uh, really surpassed themselves in their bias, you know, and their their manipulation of, of the truth, and uh, had lost uh, a lot of credibility among journalists themselves. So this this is um, uh, I, I don't know what it takes to 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 get a uh, balanced coverage on on, uh, on on the national media here, but you know we we keep trying and we keep working on it. 
And I, I do think there are uh, there are green shoots of hope there because of the alternative me- media and the rise of the internet and so many people sourcing their news from non-mainstream sources now. And by that, I don't necessarily mean conspiracy theory websites or anything like that. I mean just people not tuning into the state broadcaster RT in Ireland in the way that they did in, in the past, be it through radio or TV. And people are becoming a little bit more open to alternative information as a result because when you see a party that finishes fourth in a by-election such as Direct Democracy Ireland did Mm. and more attention been given to a party such as the Green Party which essentially imploded in the last general election Mm. and practically doesn't exist anymore yet they'll they'll continue to get airtime and constant media exposure but thankfully people are looking elsewhere for their information and how key do you see the internet and alternative media as being to the message that you're trying to get out Raymond? Well it's very important because it's it's the the one place where information can be circulated more freely and uh, we have a reasonably good um, media presence on on the uh, on Facebook and things like that uh, and people can find us and we have our own website of course and all of that so it, it's very important and um, it engages people in discussion and, and um, it, it provides a more open and balanced forum for, for sharing information and, and getting information so we're working on that leading up to the uh, local elections and the, the uh, um, European elections as well Great. And just to get back then to the way that the direct democracy system runs, because something that pops into my head quite a lot is if we get more power to essentially govern ourselves and decide what issues need to go to the people with a referendum, surely any kind of crackpot can decide. For example, if I decide that I want to have the... uh, all these, the roads repainted in luminous green in the morning. Mm. If, if I go out and get enough signatures, that can go to the vote, and that's surely a waste of resources and people's time. Yeah, and, and I would say great, and good luck with that. <laughs> I mean, how many? if you need 50,000 signatures, I don't think there's that many 50,000 crazy people in Ireland, you know. Mm. And, and it's, a, it's a kind of a self-regulating system. I mean... If you want everybody in Ireland to wear pink shoes, I say, yeah, great, go out and see how many signatures you can get for that. Wonderful. Good luck to you, you know. It's self-regulating. Most people, the average person is not that stupid. And even if you got enough signatures to bring it to a referendum that everybody in Ireland wears pink shoes, let's face it, (laughs) the people of Ireland aren't that stupid, you know. And generally speaking, you know, the average person is a pretty well-balanced, uh, you know, hard-working, honest individual, you know, and uh, they're, they're, it's just a self-regulating thing. Unless everybody in the country is a nutcase, you're not going to get those kind of things getting too far. You know, they, they won't go anywhere. And even if they do, it will be discussed. It will. It, you will have that opportunity to do it if you're crazy enough or if you're whatever, clever enough to come up with something uh, that you think needs discussion, then good luck to you. And we need to have that. This is what um, democracy is about, you know, and being able to talk about these things in a balanced and, you know, to be able to look at the pros and cons of, of 
something when it gets to a certain stage is is very uh, important. I mean, we had an AGM recently in which there was a point brought up and uh, there was a number of people against it, for instance, in the room. And by the end of our discussion, some of those people had changed their minds. And they were quite adamant about their position on, on that topic. But by the end of it, because of the arguments that had been put forward, they actually decided that they were wrong and they they joined the other side, if you like. You know, so open and frank discussions are, are very important in, 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 in this process. Not just that a decision is made and that's the end of it. Leading up to it, there needs to be open and honest and frank discussions on the whole thing. And you know, the direct democracy means that the people are partners in the political process. And when you're a partner in the process, you talk things out. You discuss them. You go through the pros and cons, you know, and you may change your mind as a result of that. So it, it, it's, a, it's a most sane and balanced system, you know, and you, it's, it's really um, a very rational system. So nothing gets pushed on any. And that that makes a lot of sense as well, Raymond, because it does. I think we we tend to reap what we sow, but quite often as political bystanders, because essentially, bar the general election every number of years, uh, we are bystanders when when it comes to the any kind of active role in politics in the country. It is left to that group of yeah. people who we elect, and it doesn't matter. I mean, essentially, we have to listen to promises and lies at election time mm. every four or five years, and then nobody seems to be accountable when and if and when they break those promises and are shown mm. to be lying. Whereas what direct democracy seems to do, and this is my understanding of it from what you're saying, is that it places people actually in the debate. So as opposed to just uh, spectating from the sidelines and complaining to their neighbour that things aren't going the way they are, or celebrating if they do go, they can actually have an active role in it. And if, if people feel that something is not going the way they want it to go, they can actually change that. It's real change as opposed to Barack Obama-style lip service change. Yeah, yes. no, exactly. And, uh, you know, being a spectator at your own demise, if you like, or whatever, is not a very happy piece uh, of affairs. And that's what we are. We're just spectators, while the people who have the, the, the real power, um, you know, get on the business of telling us how our lives are going to be run. And and nobody, you know, people like to be engaged. They want to be engaged. And it's total frustration when and apathy when you're not, in, you don't have an input in, into something that's going to affect your life profoundly. And uh, this is, is because people are motivated and, and, and they feel in control of their lives and they're, they're more productive as a result. So when you feel that you actually have a, uh, an input into something, you are motivated to, to, be, uh, to get involved. But, but when, you're, when you feel you, your, your presence is not being acknowledged, why would you engage? You know, why would, you know, you just kind of throw your hands in the air and go, well, what's the point? And it's, it's, it's a form of, you know, suicide, really, to, to have that. You know, it's financially suicidal to have a country full of people who have that awful sense of apathy. And we are known for our apathy. I mean, look at the Greeks. They were going around, you know, 
uh, wearing T-shirts saying we're not the Irish, you know, <laughs> which was kind of, it's a, it was a real insult because, you know, they were out on the streets demanding certain things and they got them. That's not to say that they're any better off as a result, but they got their loans slashed um, because they just shouted and, and got out on the streets and decided they weren't having anymore. And here are we keeping our mouth shut because we just feel so apathetic um, and we get hammered for every last penny you know and uh, yet our politicians just bent over and said we'd pay you whatever you want you know so I, I used to take the superficial kind of example of something I've seen over my lifetime when I was young I'm going back nearly probably 50 years half a century um, Ireland was a very great place. It was, you know, it, it was a beautiful country. The people were beautiful. But when I hitchhiked around and I used to go to Flack Hills and things, the towns and the, you know, grey. And um, so somebody came up with the idea of the Tidy Towns competition. And they, uh, um, they engaged people in their local communities in terms of the Tidy Towns. <clears throat> and what I've seen, <coughs> pardon me, uh, over the years, is the transformation of most of the towns and villages in Ireland. You know, when I compare it to what it was like, become more colourful, you have flowers, uh, you know, planted in the streets, you have cleaner streets, all these kind of things. Now, if you can do that on a kind of social level, think of what you might, be, how you might be able to transfer, uh, tra transform the country politically if you engage people and involve them. Yeah, I think engagement yeah. is key and you've hit the nail on the head there, Raymond, because so many people um, who I would speak to on a regular basis are totally disengaged from any kind of... Um, well, well, they have no political conscience and I'm not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing, but in terms of running the country, it does reduce people to spectators and if people are not in any way, if they, if they don't have anything to cling to or attach to or to get their teeth stuck into, such as a project like Direct Democracy Ireland, which is essentially the taking back of the power because power has been hijacked by our pseudo-democratic system, which is in place at the moment. I think if people feel that they have a voice and a personal strength and a power, well, then colour is automatically re-injected into the political life of the nation. You've seen that with Switzerland at first hand. Yeah. We're seeing it in Iceland at the moment. And I do think that's possibly why the state-controlled media sees Direct Democracy Ireland as such a threat because they're part of the establishment and the establishment doesn't want change. Why would they? They've had it too good for so long. And this is a system of real change there. And engagement is key, as you said. Absolutely. And um, I think it's got to come. Uh, it, if you think of the Constitutional Convention, for instance, that was set up by the government to discuss various issues, uh, such as gay marriage and, and a few other things, there were eight issues, I think, in total. Uh, and they were allowed some. They were allowed to raise topics that they felt would be of, of uh, interest and importance to the people of Ireland. And one of the people brought up for discussion the, the topic of direct democracy for Ireland. And they they had to agree to, to uh, bring it up and discuss it. And they agreed to uh, to to bring it up as, as a subject and discuss it and vote on it. They then voted on it. And they voted 83% in favour of direct democracy for Ireland mm. as a system. Now, you haven't heard anything of that since 
that that was uh, voted on back in I think it was July last year or June or July yeah. that hasn't been covered but you haven't heard the end of the gay marriage issue that has been highlighted because this is what the government wants to distract people from the real problems that we face and the real uh, injustice in the, the, this country now uh, you know I'm not anti-gay but I think when a country is, is, is bankrupt, when there are people dying on trolleys in hospitals, when there are farmers killing themselves and business people killing themselves because their, their businesses have gone down the swanee, there are more important issues of life and death to call referendum on, you know, than whether two people who are supposedly in love can get a piece of paper, you know? There are important issues at this moment in time to discuss, you know, and, and like I said, if I'm, if I'm not against it, it's not good, and it's not uh, a life and death uh, issue. And there are so many life and death issues at the moment affecting people, families breaking up because of the, the austerity measures that are being imposed in our country, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, really, when you look at the, the, the 83%, and like the gay marriage issue only got 76% in favour of it. Uh, and they call it an overwhelming majority, but the direct democracy issue got 83%. So if that message can be got out to the people of Ireland, I don't see why, you know, the people of Ireland would not embrace this because it just seems to be an no-brainer and people are crying out for, um, uh, for, for, for to, have, to have a voice. And there are protests every day of the week all over the country in relation to m- many issues. Uh, and and no mechanism for these people to have, to stand in the cold and the rain to try to have their voices heard to try to get some bit of recognition and coverage for issues that are deeply depressing them and you know uh, devastating them. and uh, it's a very sad state of affairs and this is not real democracy this is you know uh, an excuse for democracy what we have and. Um, I actually had this conversation with John McGuinness, who, who was at the time vying for leadership of uh, uh, Fianna Fáil during the, the coming up to the last election. Um, I'd met with him on a couple of occasions, talked to him about direct democracy. He was very positive. He disposed towards it, according to himself, saying the right things. And I met with him on a couple of occasions. He purported to... to um, uh, be very supportive of the idea of direct democracy and you know I felt I had a, a, an ally there and um, I uh, I was on a radio program and he was on a phone in and uh, along with a, a professor in UCD and um, uh, I was there to talk about direct democracy and explain it and I did and then they turned to uh, the professor and she was a bit wishy-washy about it she thought it wasn't a bad idea but you know, with reservations and all this. Then it came to John McGuinness, and John was the same. He was very wishy-washy and reservations and, you know, nothing like the person I'd spoken to -to face-to-face who was so supportive and thought it was a great idea and all of this. So I got rather annoyed, and I said, look, we don't have a democracy in this country, you know. And he said, oh, but, you know, you have a vote. And I said, we have a vote, but we have no say. 
I said, you know, we give our power away to somebody else to talk on our behalf. I said, I don't need somebody to talk on my behalf. I'm quite capable of speaking for myself and making my own decisions. And so are most of the people in, in the rest of the people in Ireland. And he said, oh, but you get the government that you, that you, uh, that you vote for. And I said, no, hang on a second. I didn't vote for this government. This was the green Fianna Fáil government, right? Yeah. Of which he was a member. And um, and I said, hang on a second. I didn't vote for this government. I voted for one or two politicians. And that was it. I said, like the rest of the country who voted for one or two politicians. And I said, uh, I didn't vote for this government. And I said, I don't believe anybody many people in the rest of Ireland voted for this government. And then I thought for a second, and I said, hang on a second, did you vote for this government? And there was silence. Mm. And I said it again, did you vote for this government? And there was silence. And I said, there's your democracy. There was a man in government, and he couldn't say he'd voted for that government. And that silence speaks volumes. That silence spoke for itself. So what and then, Raymond, would the role of politicians be within a direct democracy system in an ideal world situation? I mean, there, there will be politicians, presumably, but what form do they take? What's their role and what do they get up to? Well, the role isn't too different to what they do now, other than that they're very aware that the people have the last say. They're there to run the country, to to act on their promises, and not, as Michael Noonan said, that we expect hyperbole coming up to an election. I don't believe that I expect, I, and I certainly don't expect, to be lied to coming up to an election. I don't. I don't expect exaggeration of the truth, you know, coming up to an election. I want the truth. I want to know what's going on. Yeah. And the problem with our present system is that not even the opposition knows what's going on. So when they come out with their statements, they're making promises that when they get into government, they may not be able to fulfill because they don't know the reality behind what's going on. Only the secretive few who are in government understand what is going on. And that's no way to in the country. Things have to be open and transparent. You can't have people meeting at three o'clock. A few elite, you know, representatives of the people meeting at three o'clock in the morning and making decisions above the head of the people that they're there to represent. That is not the way to do it. We would not be in the situation we're in today if we had direct democracy because the people of Ireland would not have voted to, to payback um, bondholders and there would have been an open and frank discussion on all of that before something like that was pushed through and we would not be in the situation we're in today if, if that if we were a direct democracy you know people meeting in secret making decisions forcing through decisions and it's happened more than once you know so uh, you know this is not a democracy when you start talking in these terms. So the the role of the government is is no different to to what it is today. They're they're there to for, to act on their promises and and their commitments and not to to uh, exaggerate or lie to the people or, or or make false promises based on nothing. You know uh, and and then go, go in and and you know, just reneging on all those things. The the role of the government is, is to get on with the business of, you know, doing what they said they would do and because that's why they were voted in in the first place. It doesn't change. But if they're doing anything that they that are that is against the will of the people or that the people don't want or don't agree with, then they have that power 
to call referendum on that, to have an open and frank discussion about what the government are doing and change it. I mean, if you have employ a man to, uh, you know, build a house for you, and you tell him that this is what you want, and he he makes all kinds of promises and says, oh yeah, and, and even makes other promises, oh, and I can do this, and I can add that, and I can turn this, and then he starts building your house, and doesn't do what he said he was going to do in the first place, or build it the way you wanted it, and he, and he starts making excuses. Surely you, you have the right to go in and say, sorry, I didn't hire you for that, next. And I think as well the issue of accountability comes in there because we have some kind of redress as a consumer if we don't get the product that we pay for or invest in. But when it comes to politics, I mean, fine, we're told we can elect somebody else and somebody new within the same system. But what of the damage done then by the outgoing politicians? So where does accountability come into it? Is it just a case within a direct democracy system that there's a new politician elected and the cycle continues? Or is there some kind of real accountability that will presumably prevent people, when I say people, I mean politicians, from reverting to type? Well, first of all, there is a thing called recall, which means that the politician can be taken out if the people decide they want to, to remove them. Uh, that doesn't tend to be exercised because the, the threat of the, the politician losing his job tends to be a, a major, um, you know, uh, thing for uh, for a politician. Yeah. That a sense of disgrace and a sense of you know their 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 their, their wages are suddenly gone and the, the, you know the, there's huge ramifications, just personal ramifications, you know, with a person being recalled and. Um, they don't take that very lightly. But with a direct democracy, you have the capacity as a people to make certain demands. And you could demand that if that person had done something serious enough, that they face, uh, uh, what do you call it? They, they face uh, legal impl- the legal implications of what they've done. And they can be held to account and taken to court and, and whatever else, which doesn't tend to happen here, you know. Yeah, so um, it's, it's not the case that everybody has to wait five years and then re-elect no. somebody else. It's a totally different system there of recall. Exactly, and the, 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 the implications are, are instantaneous, you know, the ramifications of what they do, the, it's instant karma, if you like, yeah. you know, it's, you're not waiting for the next lifetime, which people just put, I mean, we all do it, if, if, if there was instant karma, there'd, there'd be a lot more, you know, uh, self-right, or what would I say, more, more uh, uh, accountable people around you know yeah uh, it's the fact that things can be put off for so long uh, and and the waters can be muddied and excuses can be made and all of that uh, that that makes for the system being unaccountable but you see when your partner's in a political process and and the the implications of what people do is fairly instantaneous it does make them sit up and take note and um, that's an important uh, uh, you know, factor. So, you know. and then in very broad terms, I'm listening to the radio now, and I'm really liking what I'm hearing. And direct democracy sounds great to me. But how is it going to impact directly on my life? For example, if I vote for a direct democracy politician in the next general election or a local election, whatever it might be, what is that politician going to offer me in terms of the umbrella of direct democracy? Uh, what does that mean in terms of? 
stopping the rape of a nation and the for example let's look at bondholder payments nobody in the country wanted that seemingly except for the establishment politicians and that's what's led sure. to absolute financial and economic collapse in Ireland so what are the the micro issues that will affect the man on the street if they vote for a direct democracy politician well it's like everything you know the journey of a thousand miles starts with one step does that one step make a difference not always obviously but of course it does in real terms not very not very obvious in real terms it does you are one step closer to your goal and if you can maintain that vision and that uh, focus it sends a very powerful message if we had a number of people elected um uh, in the next uh, local in the next local elections um it would suddenly start people waking up and taking notice. And it brings you a long way towards achieving your goal. I mean, Direct Democracy Ireland has already uh, started to change the narrative of Irish politics. You have a number of politicians uh, of which I spoke to in the past and who had no interest in the, the idea of Direct Democracy coming out recently since the, the media's by-elections and having seen themselves hammered uh, in those elections by Direct Democracy Ireland uh, come out and say, we need direct democracy in Ireland. Joe Higgins has won. On the Pat Kenny show, I, I almost fell off my chair when I heard it, uh, came out twice at the end of an interview and say, said, we need people power in this country. We need direct democracy in Ireland. And I almost fell off my chair. This is a man I spoke to four years ago who didn't want to know. Mm. He's a politician you know. who's held up as an anti-establishment politician. Yeah, but he, and he didn't want to know. I mean, this is before I got to the point of having registered the party. I was trying to get other parties interested in the concept. And when I realised none of them had any interest, they were all kind of self-serving and self-promoters, uh, I decided, well, it's time to, uh, you know, set up this party myself and, and, and push it forward, you know. And since the Medes by-election, we've had a number of... Uh, Boyd Barris is another one who came out and said recently that we need direct democracy at local level government in Ireland. There's words that you would never have heard uh, uh, a few years ago. The words direct democracy. People presume that we have democracy in this country. And suddenly people are waking up to the idea that there is a better type of democracy called direct democracy and they're starting to use those words now and people are going what is that you know so we have changed we've had people even naming Gilmore coming out and talking about giving people more power at local level politics and stuff like that not that I believe that they'll ever really do that they'll make you know sort of superficial you know um moves in that direction but at the end of the day we need this enshrined in our constitution as it was by the founding fathers of this state so that it can never be removed again so that our voice is there enshrined in stone virtually in our constitution because any moves and like you know uh, towards doing this on a superficial level by the, the mainstream politicians means that when the, the chips are down or when, when push, push comes to shove, they will whip that out from under the people and impose their will as they always have done. And, you know, unless we have it put back in our constitution so it cannot be taken away from us, nothing is going to change. But like I said, we have changed the dialogue, we've changed the, the narrative so that politicians are now, you know, 
talking about this and and raising the the, the, the issue um, and uh, yeah people are waking up and it is the word is getting out there little by little and as you said if we get one or two people elected it will send a very powerful message uh, around the country you know that that this is something that people want need and demand and let's look at an ideal world from your point of view situation then, Raymond. Direct Democracy Ireland gets to power and you've got the majority in the doll. Is it a case then that you would continue as a party, but if, if a direct democracy system is then introduced for, for all future elections, is it a case that you would remain as a party or would the fact that the system is in place be enough? Or how would you envisage the future if there was a situation whereby the party came to power? Well, that's up to the individuals who who get in. Um, again, it's 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 uh, it, once our goal is achieved, I won't say we're redundant, but you know, uh, I, I I think there are like you know very idealistic people in in direct democracy Ireland who would like to uh, represent people and continue on. Uh, I can't speak for anybody uh, myself. Even I don't know. It would depend. You know, there are so many things that need to be changed. Even if direct democracy was implemented tomorrow, there are so many things that need to be changed in this country that it is will be an ongoing process for some time. And so many things that need to be discussed and, uh, you know, brought to the attention of people so that they can, they can, they themselves can decide. So it won't be just a question of that's it, our, our job is done. Because, you know, the, the, there is no, you, you spoke about an ideal there, uh, an ideal world. There is no ideal world. And as somebody once said, the, the, the price of, of freedom is eternal vigilance. Mm. And there is always an ongoing need to make sure that, um, that that balance is kept, that nobody tries to come in to pervert it. And um, it, is a, it is a never-ending story, if you like, you know. So... Um, but the, 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 the main thing is that we do have this voice and we do have it put back into our constitution. That is the first main thing. Now, anybody who feels that they can add to that uh, from the point of view of the direct democracy party, it's fine. I mean, I, I don't have a problem with them continuing on and mm. it d depends on what, you know, people have their own ideas of what uh, need to be brought about and implemented and um, if they like you know if they feel they can make a difference that many of them will continue to, to on with the uh, with the party but um, uh, the, the, the main goal is to have this just reinstated in the constitution yeah, and I think that was uh, very important just to clarify that because so many people have become so disillusioned with party politics and the system mm. that exists at the moment. So the, the goal is a changing of the system as opposed to, oh, a new party who wants to come to power. Yes, oh, absolutely, yeah. And, um, you know, the, the main thing that happens is that once direct democracy is back in the Constitution, the party... Uh, is is no longer the the uh, dictatorial institution uh, you know that it was and the whole exactly. political scene is no longer dictatorial so direct democracy ireland will be subject to the will of the people just as much as every other party will be yeah and that, so, that's the beauty of it that's the checks and balances system that doesn't currently exist 
That's it. Yeah, exactly. And I, I like the use of, and continual use of the, use, the word power. It's a word that we use a lot on Alchemy Radio. And I think the key crux of things here is that people need to claim back their own power, to step up and take some personal responsibility for that erosion of power and to take it back. Mm. Because if you look at the pure numbers involved, how many politicians, there's 165-odd um, politicians in, in the, the major house, the Dáil in Ireland, and we have 4 million people. If we don't have some system whereby we can be the ones with the power as opposed to the politicians being the ones with the power, well... We really do deserve whatever we get, in my opinion. Would you agree with that? Um, yes and no. Um, first of all, we are a damaged people. You know, we have been subjected to, uh, you know, a long period of time of being dictated to, mm. starting with the... the the Brits and continued on by our own politicians who as soon as we got our freedom took away our voice yeah. you know to, to have a say and I've continued with this you know joke of, of democracy where they lie to you to get into power and then just get on and do you know do their own thing for the next five years and, and, and play this merry-go-round between them I mean these are people who are, are you know quite friendly uh, you know, who have this sham uh, theatre of, you know, opposition and then go and have drinks and slap each other on the back, you know, in the, in the Doyle bar afterwards. You know, it's a, it's a boys club, it's a, it's a merry-go-round and that whole thing needs to be broken up. And, um, you know, the, 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 the problem is that people have been... Uh, kind of sleepwalked, if you like, into this sense of apathy, and you know, it's it's kind, it's almost an illness at this stage. It is an illness where, you know, when people become depressed and beaten and humiliated, they almost need therapy as a country. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's you. You can't blame somebody who has been terrorized and abused as a child, if you like. So as a, as a, a child state, um, as a, a childlike state, new state back in 1920s, uh, the abuse continued. And, and we know it continued on so many levels, not just from the church institutions, but politically as well. We are a people who have been abused unmercifully over the decades. And that has become... Uh, institutionalized in our in our national psyche, so we are a people who are not free. We are the the the, the result of massive abuse and, and and a kind of mental illness in a sense. Mm. And we have huge. We see the effects of it all around us every day of the week: alcoholism, drug abuse, all of this kind of thing. And and you know that the. the inability to stand up and mobilize ourselves as a nation where the Greeks, as I said earlier, were out on the streets and going, we're not the Irish, you know. And it's it's obvious to anybody looking in from the outside that we are uh, subjugated people and, and are still being subjugated, you know, to the to the extent that it is virtually a mental illness at this stage. And we have to come out of that. We have to... Um, it, it's going to be a bit of a learning curve and, and, and a, 
you know, we will have to go through finding ourselves, you know, as a people, you know, gr- little by little, gradually bringing ourselves out of this. You know, we're, we are <laughs> seriously demented people right now, you know. So I don't believe we deserve what we get in the sense, any more than a person who has been terrorised and abused deserves, you know, the criticism for not being able to deal with certain situations, mm. you know, and you see it with people who have been abused, for instance, or who had alcoholic fathers and who pick spouses who who are alcoholic. It's on a subconscious level. We don't do it intentionally, so we you can't say you deserve something if it's not something that you do consciously or you know you're aware of. And it's a form of mental illness. And, and as I said, you, we've been institu- we've had institutional abuse for so long, and you know political and institutional abuse as a nation, and been terrorized by the Catholic Church and by our politicians and all of this, that we can't think in, in, a, in a free sort of way, you know, and it's only gradually we're becoming aware. There is a point where people, you know, sometimes the, the abused people do become aware and start to come to grips with their illness or with their their phobias or whatever it is and we as a nation need to wake up to that gradually and it won't happen overnight but it will happen and hopefully we have started in direct democracy ireland that process of waking people up to the need to engage and the fact that there is the possibility of a mechanism being put in place where we can have more open dialogue hold our politicians accountable and all of these things for the abuse and all of the things that they you know foster on us you know on a daily basis and we have to wake up for that and and, you know not necessarily looking for for revenge or anything like that but we have to become realistic in in how we engage with that system, with that political system, and 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 you know, um, uh, come to some sort of resolution, if you like, you know, maybe a psychiatrist would put you know put it more succinctly than me, but we are a damaged people, you know, and and it like I said, the, the, our, our rehabilitation is going to take a little bit of time. I think it so. won't happen overnight. In terms of the future and how encouraged you are in terms of the response that you've got to it from the public as opposed to the media, how do you see Direct Democracy Ireland advancing and how do you see the future for you as a party or, or even aside from the party for this idea, this political system? No, I've, I've great hope for it because most people we talk to seem to get it. And I mean 90% or 95% of people that we talk to go, yeah, we'd like some of that. And um, what what frustrates them a little bit is that as a party, we're not um, as organised as we should be or might be. We are, a lot of us, unemployed uh, and finding it hard just to, to survive on a day-to-day basis and trying to do this as well on the side. Um, we we don't have any finances. Like I said, we're not career politicians. We're competing with parties who are virtually 100 years in existence, who uh, have vast uh, 
financial resources, uh, massive contacts, big machinery, political machinery built up over the years in place. And we are a fledgling party. And people continually, some of them, compare us to these parties. And we're only a year in existence. And yet, we've, we have performed, in a way, minor miracles in that time. In, in the Meadies by-election, the result that we got for a totally unknown mm. party. And uh, also, in like, as I said earlier, changing the narrative of Irish politics, where politicians, with the words direct democracy, you hear it every now and again, which you wouldn't have heard before. And, um, and the talk about giving people more power. So, you know, we are having an impact. And I believe in time, um, that recognition will, will, will just grow. It can only just grow. And hopefully at some point we will get people contributing some financial support to us that we can put to good use. And the, the few euro that we had, and it was minuscule by comparison to what the other parties put into the Meadies by-elections, um, were, those small resources we had were put to great use, you know, and uh, we would continue to do that with any resources that we get that come in. So, so um, I have great hopes for the future with the impact that we've had and uh, the, the, the growth and recognition of, of direct democracy. And how can people get further involved, Raymond? Uh, tell us about the website and how people can find out more information. Well, our website is directdemocracy.ie. It's quite straightforward. Uh, directdemocracy.ie. And uh, we have a Facebook page as well under Direct Democracy Ireland, which is the name of the party, Direct Democracy Ireland. So uh, they're the two areas. And, um, you know, you can contact the the, the, um, the head office or, or the, the, there's phone numbers there that for people to contact. Or they can contact me if they want on 089 Four zero treble one seven eight. Um, if they want to know more, or be directed to various places. But you will hear more of us coming up to the uh, the local elections and the European elections. So myself and Ben Gilroy and Jan Van de Ven, who's the the, the recently elected uh, leader of the party, will have a good online presence coming up to those elections. So you know the people will hear more of us shortly. Well, we'll be keenly watching proceedings and uh, I'll be fascinated to see how things go. And the best of luck with that, Raymond. I have the Thanks, power, sir. you have the power, we have the power. Raymond Whitehead, it's been fantastic speaking to you on Alchemy Radio today. Thank you for joining me. No problem. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. And so for anybody listening who might be based in Ireland and is interested in finding out more about Direct Democracy Ireland, a talk will be taking place on the 13th of March. That's Thursday, the 13th of March in the town of Carlow, which is about 80 kilometres south of Dublin. The venue is the Seven Oaks Hotel and it kicks off at 7.30pm. Alchemy Radio. Yet our best trained, best educated, best equipped Best prepared troops refuse to fight. Matter of fact, it's safe to say that they would rather switch than fight.
Alchemy Radio. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode of Alchemy Radio. Remember, we rely on donations to keep the show in its current free and advertising-free format and are extremely grateful for any help you can offer. There is no fixed cost on your donations. We also accept subscriptions and credit cards and all that kind of thing now on the website. And every little bit helps, so it doesn't matter how small. The price of a cup of coffee even every month would go a long, long way towards keeping us afloat. The website is alchemyradio.net and you can listen back to all our previous shows there as well. Thank you to everybody who has donated over the last few weeks. You're helping out in a massive way. Next week's guest is Julian Rose and we'll be talking about food, sustainability, Agenda 21 and how to take back control of what it is that we eat. Until then, I have the power, you have the power, we have the power. Alchemy Radio. Alchemy Radio. Analyze. Are you tuned in? Are you tuned in? Are you tuned in? Are you tuned in?